Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Welcome to episode 13 of the Be The Right Club Today podcast, season two. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since the US Open. Um, Hal, what was your thoughts on the US Open? Well, I thought it was a lot of fun uh, watching it. I loved LACC. Uh, I was curious as to how it was going to look. I've never played LACC, but uh, it was pretty cool looking on TV. Yeah, and uh, yeah. the f- finish was awesome. Yeah, that was exciting. Yeah, it was. Fucking Rory. But, yeah. uh, how did you think the course played? There was a lot of uh, uproar, as always, on social media about the, the how the course played. What did you think about it? Uh, you know, I'm not sure you can do anything that you're not going to hear somebody's disagreement with the way <laughs> it's going on on social media, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I had a hard time with the 18th hole having a 50-yard wide fairway on the 18th hole. Mm-hmm. I mean, I – I never teed it up in a major championship where the last hole didn't require some a little bit more preciseness than that required. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that didn't surprise me, I mean, you see where the game is going. Everybody was following Ricky Fowler and hopeful. You know, I mean, I was pulling for Rory and Ricky. Either one of them that won, I would have been happy with it, you yeah. know. And uh, – Ricky was the shortest one of the leaders, yeah. and it showed at the end of yeah. the day. You know, he just couldn't stay with it, and that's kind of where the game is going. And, I mean, I think Rory hit one 360 yards or something. Yeah. And, of course, hats off to Wyndham Clark. He played fantastic. He played the cut. Uh, he played it. He knew his game like he kept talking about. Doesn't really have a coach. He be- Self-belief. Yeah. Something that I've talked about with Paul Azinger on here a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, Parker, uh, we talk about that as well. So yeah, the the shot Wyndham Clark hit on uh, late Saturday night into eighteen. Uh, for those who have seen it, amazing club twirl. He absolutely flagged it after making a bogey in seventeen. I love that. I can. I think that showed the confidence and self belief. He bogey seventeen. Who knows how he finishes? And he, I, th- I don't know if he hit the pin, but he hit it like stiff on the last. And maybe club twirl of the year right there. Um, I like the course for – it did separate a little bit who was playing the best, who was playing the worst. There was a little bit of separation there in the leaderboard, which shows it's, it's really rewarding good shots and maybe yeah. punishing bad shots. I like any golf course that requires you to hit good shots, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, if, if mediocre golf shots will work – you can't call that a major championship golf course, no. you know. I mean, anyway, I thought LACC was uh, a good venue. Uh, yeah. Not sure Brooks Koepka and I would agree on a lot of things, <laughs> and we didn't agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were some players that didn't seem too happy about it, but, you know, hey-ho. Um, Rory, I want to talk a little about Rory. Uh, so close yet again to getting yeah. that major since uh, – was it 10 years almost um, or nine, nine years? Uh, I really badly want him to win one. I'm a big Rory fan. Um, he's, he's been close a lot of the time. I feel it's coming. Well, it's a fine line between finishing <laughs> first and second in a major championship, you know, and 
you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Either way, you know, yeah. somebody else not do something quite as well. I mean, one shot yeah. away. Mm-hmm. Uh, 72 holes. 72 holes. He's played great, uh, you know, and I think with everything with the LIV and the way that's all played out, and Rory, mm-hmm. you know, he even called himself the sacrificial lamb. And, you know, I think for him to play mm-hmm. as well as he did, in the aftermath of all of that, uh, I was proud of his play. Yeah, uh, I really thought he was going to do it. Uh, he just needed a few more putts to drop. But uh, next month, July, uh, the Open Championships at Hoylake, where Rory's won before. Um, I'm not sure on the current weather situation over there. When he when he won there, it was playing pretty soft. It was a lot of rain. From what I heard recently, it's a little firmer over there right now. So we'll see if that suits him or not. But it'd be great to see him win that. So I'm going to make a statement here about Rory. I'm going to, if he happens to listen to us, (laughs) I'm going to give him a little bit of advice. I think he never makes the putts down the stretch because they're too long. Mm -hmm. I think he plays fairly conservative iron shots Mm -hmm. coming down the stretch because he doesn't want to make a mistake. And, you know, he ends up having a lot of, Yep. 30 to 50 foot putts mm-hmm. and who's going to make those, Yeah, you yeah. know? So, uh, and I'm not saying step on the gas necessarily. That's not what I'm saying. Yep. I mean, sometimes just favoring a slope a little bit can get you 20 feet closer yeah. to the hole. And, uh, it's a fine line. I'm not saying, you know, get on the, yeah. the pin so hard. That's not what I'm saying. But mm-hmm. I think if I were him, I would analyze, okay, why am I getting 30 to 50-foot putts all the time? Yep, yep. The, uh, it felt that way at the old course last year in the Open. Yeah. He just was never quite close enough where you felt it was holdable. But, um, you know, I don't know if that's a strategy for him, try to be cautious like you talked about there, try not to make a mistake. But I don't know. Who am I to tell uh, <laughs> Rory <laughs> what to do or not? Um, I can barely break 75 these days. Um Wyndham Clark hit some amazing chip shots in that final round. Yes, uh, he did. Some amazing up and downs, which is the subject of our interview today uh, with Parker McLaughlin. So uh, you guys out there maybe know him as the Short Game Chef on Instagram. Um, he's going to come on and talk a little bit about you know his career and, and his approach to uh, Short Game. Um, yeah. Are you looking forward to any questions? Uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, I need help with my short game, as everybody else does out there, I'm pretty sure. Uh, if anybody's got it down solid, you can go ahead and turn it off right now. You don't even have to listen to Parker. <laughs> anyway, y'all enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Holderness and Borden. Let's talk about their polo shirts for a second. The fit and fabrics are one of my favorites out there, but Holderness and Borden really changed the game with the collar on their shirts. You can really spot a Holderness and Borden collar it has premium interfacing, sewn-in collar stays, and an English cut that is modern but not too aggressive. Ultimately, what does that all mean? It means you look more polished and more put together. A great collar can frame your face and give you great posture. A great collar also stays sharp, especially in the heat of the summer as you sweat, or maybe you're sweating over those nervy six-footers. Check them out at hbgolf.com and use code HSUTTON15 for 15% off your next order. 
Okay, we're delighted to welcome uh, Parker McLaughlin to the podcast this week. Um, Parker, I really appreciate you joining us. I know you're in the middle of some uh, some hefty travel around the world, so um, thanks for taking the time today. Um, for those that maybe aren't familiar with you, Parker, how about you tell us a little bit about kind of your your life up to this point, your career, and life in the PJ Tour and coaching and whatnot. Yeah, so I was, uh, thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, I was born and raised in Hawaii and, and uh, went to UCLA. Uh, got onto the PGA Tour 2007, uh, ended up winning in 2008, and um, sort of have played on and off the PGA Tour uh, for the last 15 years or so. And, and uh, in the last, I'd say three specifically, I've been um, sort of j- transitioning a little bit more into the uh, short game coaching world um always had a great short game uh but uh you know about three years ago kevin streelman approached me to say hey um uh, well i put some videos on on instagram uh under the under the handle short game chef and and a couple days after that kevin streelman had reached out and said hey i see you're doing some short game teaching i'd love some love for you to take a look and so you know, the first paid lesson I gave was to the guy ranked 93rd in the world. And, uh, and then it's just sort of, it's just sort of grown from there. And, um, you know, I've been, been lucky that a lot of guys have, have trusted me to take a look at their, uh, guys and gals have, have trusted me to look at their short games. And, um, and I, I've, I've been fortunate to help about 50 people now out of the chipping yips um and so yeah just this whole thing has sort of grown out of uh a whim of uh putting putting some short game instructional videos online so parker you said uh help them out of the chipping yips i've said for a, quite a while that there's more people with the yips in chipping than there is putting for a long by a long shot so i agree with you ex- expand on that a little bit yeah, so um, I think you know with, with putting, usually the the setup, you know, in, in my belief, uh, chipping setup is usually something that that gets people into the into the wrong the wrong positions for um, for chipping. They a lot of players try to set up amateur players try to set up the same way they do with a seven or nine iron as they do with their little chip or bump and run or pitch shot, and so. Um, you know, that, that usually leads to players sort of having, I call it the saves. So they get to the top of their backswing and then everything starts freaking out in their head and they try to save it. And so uh, with putting, I don't notice that quite as much. With putting, the setups are usually, um, they're usually not as far off. Um, and so, so that to me is, is usually where, where players can, can find their way a little bit more in putting, whereas in chipping, uh, the second you get in that wrong setup and you start seeing some bad turf interaction uh, at impact, that's usually when the chipping the chipping yips begin. Don't you feel like there's too many people using too much legs in their chipping? Absolutely. That's usually the one of the first things I do is I'll shrink their feet, make them. I'll I'll actually have them touch as a, as a drill, have their feet totally touching, make them hit some shots from there, and they. They start. They start to realize that the legs are, are really causing some bad, bad habits and bad issues. The more you use your legs, the harder it is to find the bottom, right? Yeah, you got You got to have a consistent low point. And I, and I don't mind. I don't mind if players 
you know, hit the ground a little bit before impact. As long as you're doing it in the proper way, you can engage the bounce. So I'm not a, I'm not a huge believer in, you know, sending the low point way forward. Um, you know, I see a lot of people saying, Hey, you gotta, you gotta really move, move your body forward in the backstroke for a, for a chip and a pitch shot. And I, I actually don't, I, I don't agree with that uh, a ton. I, I like to stay a little bit more centered and then sort of on the way down. Yes. I want you to start moving towards the target, but boy, I don't, I don't want you first thing in your backstroke to start working, working towards the target. Yes. That causes this, your left arm to get shorter because there's not enough room. Hey, you're talking to Hal Sutton right now. <laughs> I've had these problems, Parker. I know all about it. You know you know how I beat it is shut my legs down and get my arms as long as I can get them. And if yep. I give myself yep. room to get my arms long, then I hit a pretty good shot. And, you yeah. know. I usually, I usually like to have people, tur- you know, turn the low body off and turn the – Turn the rotation, tur- turn the rotation on a bit more. To me, that's uh, that, that's that's usually a, pre- a pretty good way to um, kind of just just get things to, to be a little bit simpler for the for the amateur player, especially. Wow. What like so f- for for the yips? This cause for people's set. You're saying people's setups bad, and then they start seeing some ground contact issues. And that's where the saving comes from. They start doing some funky stuff with their upper body to try and save that. Now, I know you said uh, you saved a lot of people from the yips. You've got a good program online, right? People can check out and if they want some more information about that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I built a website, shortgamechef.com. And on there, I, I dedicate like 30, 30 videos that, that walk you step by step through how to get rid of the chipping yips. Um, and so we've actually had at least... 10, 11 people, I think, that have gone through that program without even seeing me in person. They've gone through that program and they've, they've, uh, they've sent me notes saying, you know, cure, cure the chipping yips. I just had a guy yesterday, he said, bought, bought the program, uh, watch, watched it all through. Yesterday was my first day of practice and I'm a completely new man. Thank you. And I was like, oh, that's, I mean, just one, one day in. So I think the par- the paradigm, a lot of the the, um, the the old ways of doing things, um, you know, people have sort of fallen into a lot of that, and and I think it it doesn't it doesn't work for every every player, and so giving them a new perspective has been has been something that's been a breath of fresh air, and it, it really helps them out of uh, out of those chipping yips. So, the ball changing, less spin. How do you feel like that's affected? Uh, the chipping well yeah i mean i think equipment and agronomy i think have played the biggest role so you know i was i was usually you know pretty pretty steep into it when i was playing on tour i was sort of like a a hinge stab and check kind of a kind of a guy growing up in hawaii you know a lot of grain a lot of wind i had to i had to always sort of flight it really low but we had the we had the bigger grooves right When, when i was growing up we had those those big, bigger square grooves. So then all of a sudden the grooves changed and then you got the agronomy where they're cutting the grass tighter around the greens. And then I think it was sort of Pinehurst when Michael Campbell won, where it was like, you could kind of see everything. They started shaving everything off and it wasn't always that rough that was really thick around the greens. That starts to change. Agronomy gets better. And now all of a sudden players just barely miss the green. It goes down into a low spot 
really tight. Water accumulates down there, so it's usually a little bit muddy. And play and players, you know, they try to play the back of the stance, handle forward, you know, chop down and and uh, and stab it. And you get a couple of those where you start hitting them a little bit heavy, and it starts playing in your head. And and um, so that that's sort of that's sort of the evolution. And the golf ball is obviously part of it as well because it wasn't spinning as much. And so you have to find a way to provide a little bit of height, a little softness, and and a little bit of check. Um, and so that, that's sort of where, where I come in with a lot of the stuff that, um, that I learned from Paul Azinger. Paul took me under his wing and, uh, and we, we spent a, a number of years, he was trying to help me out of some, out of some demons that I had on the golf course. And so, um, we did a lot of stuff with short game and, and that's really where I started to really understand how to use the bounce and, uh, and how to hit those floaty spinny pitch shots. So what degree wedge do you like and what degree of bounce? Yeah. So I'm a, I, I've always used a 60, but I've sort of gone, gone between some low bounces, some higher bounces. Um, and so right now in my bag, I've got a 60 with a K grind, but it's a low bounce K and it's got some pre pre-wear on the front edge and some pre-wear on the back edge. Um, I think it's a great a, a great tool out of the bunker. That that K grind has has some special stuff out of the bunker. Um, it's the same type of a grind that that Justin Thomas uses on occasion. Uh, Rory just put it into play, so um, it's it's a pretty pretty versatile wedge. So, just my observation: uh, most people that use a sixty degree wedge can't hit it hard enough, and uh, I. When I first tried to use a 60-degree wedge, I found myself being short all the time. Never could make myself hit it hard enough. And uh, have you found that with anybody else, Uh, especially older guys probably who we grew up with 56-degree wedges, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I actually had a parent parent ask me the other day about, about, hey, when should I introduce a 60-degree to my child? And I was like, as late as possible. We'll get yeah. them get them to learn how to how to figure out how to hit it high, how, figure out how to get some spin on it with a fifty two or a fifty six. I, I wouldn't introduce a sixty degree until they're thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. Um, I think it's a great skill to have, and you, you grew up with that fifty six. So did Zinger. You know that was the highest lofted wedge you could you could find, and so I think that that learning how to use uh, a lower loft wedge to hit a variety of shots especially learning how to use a low lofted wedge to hit that high shot i think that's really invaluable especially for uh the young kids that are kind of growing up now but uh but as far as like the as far as the older crowd goes um to me i always especially the older crowd that 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 uh has maybe done it a certain way for uh, for so many years i always i always take them back to like hey let, let's learn how to hit a bump and run with a four iron and then let's move to a seven iron. Let's go to a nine iron. Then let's hit a, a gap wedge. Um, and if you can do all those well, then we can start to move to learning how to hit that pitch shot with a fifty-six, and then potentially move to a sixty. Um, but I'm I'm always a, I'm always a, a fan of like just making it as simple as possible. So you know, put it putting a lower lofted club in their hand and, and having them find this find simple first. 
So how far do you hit your 60 degree wedge or how far, I mean, probably you can hit it further than you like to hit it. Am I guessing right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, for, for me, I'm, I would say like a, a very full 60 degree. Um, I, I usually feel like it's 90%, uh, a 90% swing. And, and for me, that's around that 85, 85 to 90, 90 yard range. Um, the only time I will hit it hard is if it's downwind and I need to send it really high to get some, you know, if it's like a hundred, hundred yard shot, 102 yard shot downwind, that's when I'll, that's when I'll try to send it high and, and swing more full. But every, every other 60 degree is, you know, from that 90 yards down to 80 is sort of like a 90% swing. And, um, but I, you know, for me, I, I like to use, I like to use 60 degree from like, you know, 50 yards and in off of a, off a fairway lie. Um, I just, I know my numbers and I know how far I'm going to carry it. I know what swing matches up with what carry number. Um, and I do see a, a trend on the PGA tour where, where guys are getting really good using that one club. And so they've just practiced with it so much. And the lies, the lies from the fairway on tour are so consistent um, that they know week in, week out that they're going to get good lies. And so they, they practice with that 60 degree and they get really good hitting a variety of shots with that 60 degree. So you just brought up a point that I was my next question that I was going to ask you. And I want to make sure that people understood that you said on tour, you're seeing that in everyday golf, people rely on the 60 degree wedge far too much. And in my opinion, and you're talking tour players there right now who are doing this day in and day out all the time. And so they can make that club. They know where that club face is at and they can make it be 56 degrees. They can make it be 62 degrees, whatever they need it to do much harder for uh, an amateur player to do that. And I mean, in my opinion, I think they should be, forced into hitting the 60 instead of choosing the 60 uh, at least 50% of the time. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, a couple things, you know, play into it. Number one, you know, the lies on the PGA tour are very consistent. So guys are able to understand how much spin they're going to get because the lies are so consistent. When you go to your, your Muni course or even your local country club, you're, they're not prepping for, for major tournaments. So the grass might be a little bit longer. You may not be able to, to access as much spin as a tour player does. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm always a fan of, of finding out how can I land this one to two to three yards on the green and let it roll out like a putt. To me, that's, that's always a good philosophy, even from the bunker. I mean, I don't think that, you know, the amateur player needs to, try to fly a 60 degree on a 20 yard bunker shot all the way to the hole and try to spin it, grab your 56 or even your 52, learn how to chunk it, get it two, three yards on the green and let it roll like a putt. Um, so I think, I think throughout, you know, short game inside of let's say 30 <laughs> yards, I'd say it's, it's a good thought process to see if you can get it to just get barely on the green. Cause usually I, I'm not a, you know, you know, if, if we're playing links golf, then you're trying to bump it into the hills and, and you're trying to land it short of the greens. But for American style golf, 
ideally you'd like to land it on the green because that's where you're going to get the most the, the most consistent first bounce and that's really what what you're looking for if you can land it on the green and then have it roll like a putt i think that's the ideal way to, to try to play a shot for american golf and, and everyday average golfers so you were talking uh, consistent lies on the tour players golf courses uh one thing that the amateur deals with out there is into the grain chipping probably not nearly as much of that on the tour because it's prepped differently uh what's your philosophy when you've got a shot that you're chipping into the grain basically yeah i mean that's just you know no two ways about it that's a hard shot um but yeah i mean it's just you know i tell people to um just give themselves a little bit of grace um, but there are a couple of ways uh, to kind of handle it. Usually, <clears throat> if you if you can't, you know, if it's one of those things, you know, hybrid is obviously a good option. But if that's not an option, uh, then you go down to like a little bit lower lofted club. So, you know, if you're going to like a seven or a nine iron, um, that's usually going to be a better play. If you don't have that option to, to hit a lower shot like that, if you've got to have a little bit of a higher shot, Rather than 60 degree, I'd go down to like a 56. Um, and I would, I would work the path more into out. I, I wouldn't want to get super steep on it um, unless the ball is sitting way down into the grain. But if it's sitting, you know, okay, but it's still into the grain, I'd want to work that path a bit, bit more into out to try to get it a little shallower. Um, that usually, to me, um, helps to minimize the, the grabbiness on the grain. I think that's really important what you just said in to out right there because everybody's working out to in on the lofted clubs. And uh, that's contradictory to what their normal thought process is. So hope everybody heard you say that. Yeah, that's a, that's an important one. I, I, I definitely noticed that quite a bit. Um, and, and I like, you know, for most pitch shots, I think that that, that in to out path is, is more advantageous. Um, you know, you start, you start working the path out mm-hmm. to in – you know, and, and for the amateur golfer, seeing that open face and seeing it looking like it's pointed for a right-handed golfer pointed out to the right, immediately what they start thinking is, well, to, if it's pointed out to the right, I need to work my path to the left to square back up. And right. uh, I think that's, that's, that goes down a very tricky road um, <laughs> because I just think it's a, uh, it's a difficult proposition. The more out to in you go, uh, the better your contact has to be and the less margin of error you have. Parker, do you see any other? We talked a little bit about you know stance with someone looking like they're hitting about a seven arm when they're about to chip. Um, you talked a little bit about the concept of amateurs wanting to go out to end. Is there any other myths you hear a lot from amateurs that maybe our listeners can pay attention to and try and get away from? Yeah, I mean uh, the the whole the whole hinge and hinge and hold thing is is something that I see quite a bit. Uh, people come to me and they're like, you know, I tried to hinge and hold and now I, I can't make contact with the golf ball anymore. Um, and so, you know, I just think that, that bounces, bounces there to be your friend. You know, I've talked a lot with Bob Vokey, uh, on his philosophies and he's been making wedges for 35, 40 years now. Um, and a lot of, of his philosophy is, well, we gotta, we gotta find a way to get that shaft you know, to present itself, you know, when you come here, you got to get that shaft to present itself back to neutral to be able to engage that bounce. 
So if you're if you're a player that that sets up with if this is the ground and the shaft comes in this way, well, you're you're really exposing a lot of leading edge. And so just teaching players the right way to be able to expose the bounce, um, because you know at the end of the day, the bounce is going to help you take a, a, a mediocre shot and turn it into a, a very reasonable shot that you can now have a six, seven, eight footer for par. Versus if you come in presenting a lot of leading edge. Well, you might be you might only hit it six inches and you got to chip it again, um, or you freak out that you're going to hit it six inches and you, you you release it and you blade it over the green. So, both of those are not very playable and they're gonna they're gonna really hurt your scores. You just presented a thought there that I think we need to talk about a little bit more. In the world of golf swing, we talk shaft lane a lot. In the world of short game, we don't want to talk shaft lane unless we're hitting a bump and run shot. And, uh, you know, why don't you talk about that instead of me talk about it? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, it's like a lot of the things, and, and you notice some of the golfers that are great ball strikers, uh, you know, the Matthew Wolfs, the the Victor Hovlins, uh, even, even Rory, right? Um, you look at these guys and what they do to create so much ball speed uh, with their full swings, and then it's almost like a completely different game. Once you get inside of like 50 yards, right. it becomes a completely different game where we want to almost do the opposite of what we were doing with full swing. We want to almost do the opposite. And so it's about compartmentalizing. Okay, full swing, these are almost, you know, you look at even a driver swing. Driver swing, we want to be hitting up on it. Right? right, and then you compartmentalize that. You don't want to make the same driver swing as you make with your seven iron, right? We don't necessarily want to be hitting up on a seven iron, so you almost have to compartmentalize all these different facets of golf, which is, you know, almost why it makes it so difficult to really master all these different areas. Um, which you know, you look at Tiger Woods and what 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 he did through his career is like, okay, he was the best driver of the golf ball for a, a long time. And then all of a sudden, he, he's the best iron player, and then he's a great wedger, and he's a great putter. It's like it's hard to comprehend how he can compartmentalize all those different feels, all those different releases, um, and master all of them. Uh, you look at someone like Phil Mickelson, perfect example. Unbelievable at hitting flop shots and bunker shots because of his release, but not a great driver of the golf ball through his career. Right, He sort of had going both ways. Um, but that was because of his release pattern. Um, and, and, and you look, you, you look at the different, the different type of players and the different releases. Um, you almost, I I teach my guys to, to compartmentalize it and, and, and what, what works for a, a 40 yard pitch shot doesn't necessarily work for your driver, nor does it necessarily work out of the rough. Uh, I look at a, you look at a Steve Stricker, probably one of the best pitch shot motions from a fairway lie. Uh, that, that I've seen now Stricker out of the, out of the thick, you know, U S open type of rough. I don't, I don't love that. I don't love that around the greens because he needs, he's got to present more, more steepness in that, in that angle of attack. Um, and so being able to compartmentalize that I think is, is a really um, it's something that I'm seeing much more of these days is players starting to compartmentalize driving irons, pitch shots, mm-hmm. Uh, shots out of the rough, bunker shots. Uh, these are all different facets of the game that, that you have to 
have a, a recipe, so to speak, for each of those. The um, for for the best players out there, uh, a lot's made of like someone like uh, like Morikawa, for example, or like Hovland. The way they grip the club and their wrist angles can make it hard for them to maybe chip effectively. Do you find that, like, my assumption would be maybe players that talented can adapt their grip for different types of shots that they need? Or do you see that maybe, is that risky? It might feed into their long game, their strengths? Yeah, exactly. I think I think the wrist, I mean, sorry, the the grip is probably like the last thing that I would, that, that I would try to change, uh, especially on a really good player. Amateurs... You know, if they grip it extremely weak and, and very much in the palm of their hands, then yeah, I'm gonna probably I'm gonna probably address that because um, that'll that'll help the whole rest of their game. But as far as like a tour player, someone that's world class, uh, like a Kalamorikawa, you know, to me, like that's the last thing that I'm ever gonna gonna try to change because that's his one connection with the golf club, and he's so good in every other facet of it let's find other workarounds to get you to hit the shots that you want to hit without having to change your grip for this one particular shot. Mm-hmm. And then can you, can you add a little bit for our listeners? So uh, for different types of shots, what kind of variables uh, would you change and set up? So for example, um, if someone's trying to play that, uh, that uh, chip shot that launches a little higher, lands a little softer, mm-hmm. What kind of variables would you change and set up to help them hit that shot? Yeah, so there, there's there's a handful of ways that you can, you know, add add or present some loft. Um, one would be shaft lean forward or backwards. Um, so obviously, if a, if a player's got the shaft leaning pretty far forward for a seven iron or even a bump and run, just purely changing changing the shaft lean can really help um, help that player not only present more loft, but also expo- expose more bounce. Um, so that that's one way. Opening the club face would also be another way. Um, and then actually lowering lowering the handle would be would be a third way to sort of present more loft. Um, I don't love that off of a fairway lie, but um, but I think that you know you can you can manipulate at setup uh, just the shaft and the and the club face to be able to present more loft for that player to want to hit a, a higher, softer one. So explain lowering the handle. You said you didn't really like that. Tell us why. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't love it out of a fairway lie because it exposes the heel a bit more. Uh, I love it out of a bunker because I do want to dig more, but out of a fairway, I don't, I don't necessarily want to, you know, if I start digging more out of the fairway, I, I feel like I'm, uh, lowering my chances of success. Yeah. Um, so I, I do, I do like it quite a bit out of the bunker because, you know, I know I'm going to have a ton of sand interaction, yeah. uh, but out of the fairway, I'm still trying to minimize the amount that I want to dig. So, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you, Parker. So I go back far enough that I would say we played a little bit closer to the ball than than I would say the current players play. The current players stay tall as they can. And, you know, you look back at Trevino and a lot of the older guys, uh, Gary Player, they seem to get low with it. You know, I just – 
I recall that. I mean, Seve Ballesteros. I played a lot with Seve Ballesteros. He, he, by far the best wizard I ever saw with one club. Uh, he could make that fifty-six degree do a bunch of different things, but he got low. And I'm sure you recall that watching him uh, early on. He, you know, he. If anything, I'd say he had far too much legs in there for the average person. But, you know, who am I to say that? I mean, he. I think it hurt his long game a lot. Uh, yeah. But, well, and I think I think you, know, you look at uh, you know the amount of the amount of hands that Seve used. It's very it's very hard to teach that. Um, I think it's I think it's easier for the for the average golfer to understand body movements much, much easier than it is for them to understand how to, how to time out their hands. Um, and then, you know, I remember, I remember uh, talking to Jack Nicholas about a year ago and I asked him, you know, what his gamer looked like, you know, his highest lofted wedge, what would the bounce in the loft was. And he said it was a, he had a 58 degree, but it had 17 degrees of bounce. So that just just shows you like the difference in turf conditions, right? Um, you know these guys were playing much closer to the golf ball, trying to hit golf ball first. They weren't they weren't engaging that bounce quite as much because if you engage a bounce on today's condition with seventeen degrees of bounce, boy, that thing's just skipping and, and you're bouncing into it almost every time. But in the conditions that the Jack was playing in in his heyday, you know the the, the grass was definitely much thicker. It was probably a, a bit wetter, um, so to, you know. To me, uh, things have things have evolved and changed agronomy wise, and so you know, probably the highest bounce from the major manufacturers you're going to find today is 14 degrees of bounce, um, but you won't you won't find hardly any tour player playing playing more than more than I'd say a 10 de- 10 degrees of bounce in their lob wedge. What was your uh, highest lofted? when you played 58 and 10 degrees, 10 degrees. is what mine was yep. you know uh the game has changed so much uh you know we had more grass under the ball when we played there was a cushion if you will yep. uh i you know i call zoysia grass the entitlement grass you know if you grew up on zoysia grass and you went to augusta the first time you'd be freaked out when you saw your lie at augusta you know and, and you know what i'm saying uh, yeah, uh, you know, I've had several opportunities to build a golf course and I never would put Zorja in because I felt like we were, uh, taken away from a young man or a young woman that was growing up learning how to chip off of Zorja is the easiest thing in the world. And, yep. you know, that's not reality. I mean, it's a grandfather grass. I mean, if we, I'm a grandfather, you know, I kind of like that cushion under the ball, but it's not good for my overall game, really, if I really still wanted to be a good player. And, uh, you know, so thinking about what we did a long time ago is kind of immaterial because everything was different at that point. So, Yeah, and that's, that, that's where I feel like um, where I've resonated quite a bit with people and, and why I feel like um, what I'm saying people are connecting with because, you know, it's not that it's not that what people were teaching for the last 40 years is wrong it's just that things have evolved and things have things have grown and so the 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 the, the agronomy has changed the golf clubs have changed the the golf balls have changed 
Um, the grooves on the golf clubs have changed. So there, there's a lot of things that have gone into um, this sort of evolution of short game. And as I started to s- sort of shine a light on it uh, and bring some different thoughts um, as to how to present bounce and how to hit these high floaty spinny pitch shots, you know, people, people started to um, really take to it. And, and I think that, that that's, that's been part of the reason why I feel like I've been successful is that uh, I'm talking about things that people have been thinking about, but nobody's really been saying that much. Um, and, and I've, and I've gotten a, a, a ton of great feedback on um, every single day. People send me notes like, boy, I, I, I can't even, I can't believe that I've been doing it handle forward ball position back hitting way down on it. You know, I try, I try your method or your philosophy for the first time for 30 minutes. and I had the best session I've ever had. And so I, I get those notes every single day. And, and, and it's, um, I think it's, it's one of those things where it, it it's now going to start to be talked about more and more often as far as, you know, how to, um, you know, just the whole thing of like, throw, you know, I mean, just throwing the throwing the ball so far back in your stance, handle way forward, just so that you can make good ball contact. I don't think I, I tell my players a lot. I'm like, I don't think we're not chasing good ball contact. That's not that's not what I'm looking for inside of 30 yards off of fairway lie or even out of the rough. I'm not looking for good ball contact. I want you to understand how to chase a good a good attack angle. I want you to understand how to out of the rough, use the cushion that's behind the ball of the grass, use that cushion in your favor to produce a soft landing shot. I don't want you, if you've got the grass looking like this, I don't want you to just get really steep, handle forward to just try to hit the back of the ball. It's You're never going to be able to put any touch, finesse, softness on that shot. So just trying to change the whole the whole philosophy and, and paradigm of, of what we've been talking about for the last 40 years in short game instruction to now something that's a bit more modern. So let's cure one myth that's out there. All those guys got the ball back in their stance and the shaft forward. They're trying to keep the club head from passing their hands. And you're trying to present the club head passing the hands. Am I right or wrong? Yeah. So I would say, I would say on the on like a flop shot, I'm trying to feel like the like the club head is passing my hands. Um, on a pitch shot, I'm trying to feel like it's maybe just it just sort of stay it sort of stays with me. Right. Yep. But but, but yeah, you're not I, I would say to keep it ahead yep. though. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to keep the handle in front of the head the whole time. That's yeah. That that to me is great for hitting a seven iron, but not great for hitting a a soft, uh, floaty, spinny pitch shot. So for everybody listening out there, the best players in the world don't attack a long iron like they attack their short iron. They don't attack their 60-degree wedge like they hit their driver. It requires – that's why they're practicing all day long every day. That's why they are playing all over the world because they compartmentalize, just like you talked about. They know what they have in their hand at the time that they've got to hit the shot. One of the big things that I see everybody do, you know, I made the statement in here the other day that this is one thing that makes mentally difficult, golf mentally difficult, is that there's a decision to be made on every shot. You are being aggressive or conservative. Or you are, there's, 
it's mentally exhausting to play at the highest level. Am yep. I right or wrong? Hundred percent. Oh my gosh, you were so right. I think that was you know when I when I was playing you know full time on tour, that was probably the 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 biggest thing for me was you know I could I couldn't play four weeks in a row because I, I was so mentally exhausted after each round, and I and I used a lot of my mental energy on you know, what I felt like was creating magic on the putting green. Um, I would spend so much mental energy visualizing the putt, seeing it, seeing it going down a line, watching it go in the hole, seeing it at the bottom of the hole, hearing that ball go into the bottom of the cup. I would do all that stuff before I would hit a putt. And I was, I was, you know, very good at putting. I led the tour a couple different years in, in strokes gain putting. Um, but it, it wasn't because I had the best stroke. It was because I exhausted a lot of mental energy to try to create that, that really clear picture for myself. Um, and so when I would come home from a round of golf, I mean, I was, it was like, man, I was, I was exhausted. I didn't have, I didn't have the energy to go and, you know, to go out to a basketball game or to go out and, and, and watch a sporting event or, or do something like that. It was like, well, I need to, I need to recover so that I can be ready to, give this much mental energy the next day. So it's a, it's a very mentally taxing sport, especially at the highest level. If you want to, if you want to be one of the greats, it, it takes a lot mentally to, to get there. Yes, it does. Parker, what, um, sorry, uh, what lessons have you taken from your playing career that's helped you become uh, a better coach? Uh, I would say, I would say that I, I remind my players how great they are. Uh, especially my really good, my really good players, I remind them on a constant basis as to how good they are. Um, I know, you know, you know, going through the ups and downs, I, I, I know that the the value of uh, confidence, that value of self belief that we were talking about earlier, how it's it it really is that intangible. So if I can continually remind my players how great they are. Um, if they're if they're in a little bit of a downturn, I remind them how great they are, and, and maybe it helps them a little bit get back onto that upswing. Is that something that maybe you felt in your career? Maybe you didn't get from coaches enough, or uh, it's caused you to think like that? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's, you know, there's not enough. You know, it's like when you have a coach, you're looking for that coach to help you solve a problem, to help you fix something, and so you're always looking. It just it's just part of the nature of it. You're just always looking at the negative to be like, Hey, your hand position is too far here. We need to change it. Your club face is too much closed. We need to open it more. And so you're always looking at the negative side of it. Um, just that's the nature of, of a coach trying to fix a problem. And so I just, I try to remind my players, you know, yes, there's technical things that we can work on, but I also remind them like, Dude, you're awesome. Like you got to remember how great you are, um, and how great that motion is, or how great you know whatever it might be. I try to I try to always, you know, uh, remind them of, of how special they are, how great they are, because you know the, golf is golf is an impossible sport. You're never going to be perfect, and so reminding a player of how great they are, it's like they're not going to hear that very often, right? Like especially from their inner circle. Like their inner circle is there to give them truth. But if I can provide some truth and say, "Look, you're one of the you're one of the best I've ever seen at doing this," boy, they take that to heart. It means a lot more. So, 
I think some we, we can close this with what I'm about to say, Parker, because I want to hear your response to this. The golf ball owns every golfer in the world. It owns them. If they've done it long enough, it, it takes ownership over us as a player. And it's really bad at the amateur level. And as they age, it gets worse and worse and worse. And I get a lot of people that I have a lot of bad technique in here and I can get them to get better and see it on video. If I take the ball out and say, let's focus on a swing accomplishment, not on a result. How much does that play into the better players in the world? Do you see when they start to go bad, do you see the ball beginning to own them and own their mental thoughts? Man, that's a really good question. I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that. Um, I would say that for some of my amateur player, I, for some of my amateur players, I'd say if I take a ball away, they can make some really good looking motions. When I put a ball there, they get very ball centric, ball oriented, uh, and the ball owns them. Uh, for some of my, for my tour players that I work with, um, they, they can do things with the golf ball that, that not many humans can do. And so they, they're almost of the mentality of like when the golf ball gets there, like when it, when it's there, they almost want to show off more. Um, and so they almost put their best stuff. They almost, they almost show me their best stuff when, when the golf ball is actually there. Um, now if, if we're making a, a wholesale change and, and taking a player from, you know, handle forward going up and then across to then shaft more neutral building a bit more of a draw type of a path, uh, they may struggle at first with that ball being there. They might be able to do it perfectly in the front of a mirror or without a ball there, and they might be able to do it perfectly. But the second that golf ball gets there, they go back to some old habits. Um, so I'd say, I'd say if, if we're really close with a, with a really good player, um, they, they, will pull, they will pull those shots off, and, and they, they'll, they'll give me their best stuff when that golf ball's there. But if we're making like a bigger change, uh, it become it becomes a bit more difficult. The golf ball does present some challenges if it's there. They can do it much easier when the golf ball is not there. So what I was really wanting to say is, if people get too result oriented, the outcome, the ball really takes over and really owns them. And if uh, of let's say a, a handicapped golfer and I, you can put any handicap you want on it. Their turf interaction without a golf ball there can be much better than their turf interaction. If that golf ball sitting there, because they just, they're having to produce a result and they're scared of the result before they ever hit it to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the things that I, that I do quite a bit with, you know, a, a lot of people come to me for, how do I pitch the golf ball? How do I chip and pitch the golf ball better? Uh, amateur golfers. And so for those players, you know, one of the things that I, I love doing is just, hey, make me some swings where you're just brushing the top of that grass. That's all I want you to do is just brush the top of the grass. And and then I'll even like hold the golf ball there and pretend that it's going to be there. I'll take it away and see if they can brush the grass and then I'll put it back. Um I try to get them, especially if I know that they're too result oriented, too golf ball oriented. Uh, I would try to get them back into that process of 
All I want you to do is make me a nice motion where you're brushing the top of the grass because I, I honestly think that bad turf interaction is usually where the chipping yips start. If you, you get something that starts to enjoy the turf interaction and starts to see some good feedback from good turf interaction, that's when that freedom starts to start flowing back in. And then they stop getting so ball oriented. I think they get ball oriented because they're scared of the turf, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Parker, you got any more questions? We wrap uh, up it's there. been fun. I, it's you been know great. what? I, I've struggled with my chipping as I've gotten older. So uh, I love hearing you talk about it. And uh, I actually played the other day and hit three great chips. <laughs> so I was like, and all I was trying to do was keep my left arm as long as I could. I just didn't want it going here, you know. So anyway, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a huge fan of 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 finding finding some width, right? Keep it like not getting not getting narrow and narrow, right? But yeah. but finding finding some width on both sides of it. I think that that's that's very helpful if done in the right way. I think that's that's very helpful. It helps to present more bounce, and it just it just gives you that that freedom to. To not to to not be afraid of the mistake, because if my mistake is an inch behind the ball, and I'm presenting some width and some shallowness to it, boy, now all of a sudden I can present some bounce, and I can still hit a pretty good shot that still has some spin on it, versus someone that's coming in extremely steep, and hits an inch behind it. That person's that, that person's probably going to be chipping again. <laughs> well, we don't see any of the best players in the world with alligator arms. And you know what I mean by alligator arms and, you know, narrow to narrow, like you talked about, you know? So anyway, thanks for coming on. Uh, Tell everybody where they can find you at in the uh, social media world. Yeah. So uh, my handle on Instagram is probably where I'm most active is uh, at short game chef website, shortgamechef.com. And those are probably the two best, best places you can find me. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I know there's a big time difference between us here right now, and uh, I hope you have a great day, Parker. Hey, thanks, you guys. Loved loved uh, diving deeper in it with you. Thanks, Hal. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks, Parker. Have a good one. Well, Hal, that was a, a great interview with Parker. Um, some amazing insight there from a guy that's uh, working with a lot of top players now with a short yeah, game. He, you know, very kind, humble guy. You know, he he's uh, soft spoken. A uh, lot of great points that he had there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the edge of my seat listening to what he had to say. Yep. Uh, bright. Yeah, yeah. I think he addressed a lot of uh, a lot of myths that are out there especially in amateur players, on how to chip. Well, and, uh, you know, his thought about compartmentalizing the game, each shot, each part of the game. You know, mm-hmm. the driver is different than the irons and the short game is different than the irons. You know, you don't want to shaft lean. I mean, that's something that he's, you know, trying to keep people from having in the short game is shaft lean, and that's yep. what we want with our irons, you know, a shaft yeah. lean. So. Yeah. Yeah, for Shaffley in the in the short game, you're just getting that leading edge. Yeah, digging in a little bit. Um, I think some players can make it work. Special talents out there like Spieth and Scheffler, but I think for most of us, the majority of us taking a little bit of that out can use the bounce. A little Those more. guys are working at their game 
yeah. all day long every day. <laughs> yeah. And so they can make things like that work yeah. for those that have a day job mm-hmm. and golf is their hobby. Yep. Uh, not so much. Yeah. Getting a, a little more neutral set up and um, taking some of that shaftling out. Uh, check out Parker's stuff. You know, you mentioned there in the interview, he's got a great Instagram page. It's got so much great information which you can check out for free which is great so check that out um i love what he talked about you know for amateur players getting the ball rolling out a little bit more right. um i love that and not try to fly it all the way all the time well i don't know if you noticed it or not and if y'all missed uh this go back and look at it he actually talked about taking less loft out of the bunker and chunking it yeah. <laughs> which I can't tell you how many times I tried to do that in my lifetime of playing competitive golf. You know, you're, you're trying to hit a 20 yard shot with a 60 degree wedge mm-hmm. and you're trying to carry it all the way to the hole. That's a hard shot. Yeah. Even for the people that are playing golf every day at the highest level, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, he actually used the word chunk, which I thought was pretty <laughs> cool. I mean, how many of us really want to chunk it? But, you know, <laughs> But there are times and places to do it. And that's what everybody out there is trying to avoid is the chunk. That's what chaplain causes. And uh, anyway, I thought it was very informative. Yeah, it was great. Uh, It was really great. uh, I learned a lot in that session. Um, Segwaying into the Darmore Club, how your new course? What kind of short game shots are people going to see out there? Oh, (laughs) a lot of all the stuff that we've been talking about. But we're currently building the Punch Bowl Green, and we just finished the Dale Green, which has a Punch Bowl feel because it's kind of in the middle of a bunch of mounding that was already there. So some really cool-looking holes are being designed out at Darmore right now, and uh, you know, we're in what I call the asset of the property where it was mined 130 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, my whole goal was not to mess that up yeah. instead of, uh, uh, you know, going there, you know, with dozers, you can go in there and do anything you want to, you know. Yeah. So I'm trying to get everybody to be real, walk softly and quietly through that area. <laughs> yeah, be careful with what was there. It's an yeah. amazing yeah. piece of the property. Um what, what do you think, I mean, I know with your design for the place, you're, you're wanting to really test every club in the bag for everyone. Right. Are you going to have people hitting all kinds of shots? Are you going to have your long bunker shots, your short bunker shots, your chip and runs, or lofted shots? So if there's a shot that you don't have to hit out there, it's my fault because <laughs> I've been trying to bring everything into play. Yep. You know, one of the goals that I had when I – built boot ranch a long time ago was if i died would it teach my son all the shots Mm -hmm. and that's kind of been my goal throughout darmore too is can i help everybody learn all the different shots Mm -hmm. that are required to be a good player within the golf course so uh it's it's a tall task uh but I think we're getting there. Yeah, good. And if you haven't seen them already, there's some clips out there on the front end of some of our podcast episodes on YouTube um, where you can see some clips uh, of the property. And then segment into that, the website, check us out on the website, com for the academy here. Uh, we got an up and running uh, blog page on there. We're trying to put a little bit more content on there for everyone. Um, Hal's presentation from the PGA show this year, the Teaching and Coaching Summit's on there, so check that out. 
Um, check our clinics uh, on there. We have our clinics every week, but there's a bunch of information on there. So check it out. But uh, thanks, Hal. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, Good job. Yeah, we'll see you guys. Uh, thank you. We'll see you guys next time.